This podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by HCJ Contacts. Okay, good evening, gentlemen and ladies. Thank you for joining us uh, here on HCJ.tax, a member of Moore's Rule in Asia Pacific. Today, we're going to talk about the advantage of Penang for those uh, remote workers, digital nomads, location-independent entrepreneurs. So to help us, uh, to guide us through that discussion, we have Tony Yao, as well as Ravi from our affiliate office in KL to handle like the, the tax side of things. So without further ado, I will hand it over to you, Tony. You have the mic. Great. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Darren. Thanks for the invitation. And uh, thanks, uh, Ravi, for joining us. Uh, so today I would uh, go through Penang and Malaysia, just to introduce you about the city and the state uh, and why you should move to Penang. Um, Penang, as you see, you can see from the map here, uh, is an island plus a bit of a mainland on the peninsula itself. And you to the south, you have Singapore, and to the north, you have Thailand. Uh, so it's basically one of the second smallest states uh, in Penang, uh, in, in Malaysia. And, uh, and the island is about uh, 400 square kilometers, and the mainland is about 700 square kilometers. Um, so I'll take you through quickly about uh, what is life like in Penang, and what is there to support business, and why we are into the uh, attracting digital nomads uh, to come to uh, Penang, uh, because of the startup ecosystem that we have, as well as in the manufacturing uh, system uh, ecosystem that we have. Uh, so uh, Penang was founded in 1786 by Captain Francis Light. Uh, so there's got obviously quite a lot of still residual colonial buildings and it's been zoned uh, under UNESCO World Heritage. Georgetown is a heritage site. Uh, so you have uh, religious sites as well as uh, uh, traditional trades and landmarks that are left over from the colonial days. Uh, so places of worship, because it's a multicultural, multi-diverse uh, community. So you have uh, places of worship uh, as well as uh, English is widely spoken here. Also uh, on the island itself, uh, there's a huge uh, reserve in terms of the recreation, in terms of parks and uh, gardens. And, and that's Basically, in fact, we've just been recently awarded also the Penang Hill uh, is awarded the UNESCO Biosphere site as well. So it's been protected uh, as one of the green lungs for the state. Um, <clears throat> so there's quite a lot of activities, especially if you like hiking, trekking, uh, the beach uh, and the sun and the hills. Uh, it's all on, this, on in one place. In terms, because of it's a multicultural and multi-diverse society with uh, a majority uh, Chinese, uh, Malays, uh, Indians living uh, in the state. So we have many events. Uh, we celebrate the Christmas, 
uh, Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year, basically, the M Malay New Year, and then also the Indian festivals of Taipism and Dipavali. Um, so also because we are close to Thailand, so there's a huge Thai community here as well. Um, so it's linked across by uh, to the mainland by two bridges, uh, two main one uh, at older bridge, uh, the first bridge, and then uh, the second bridge which was built quite recently uh, across to the mainland, and it also has an international airport uh, that uh, connects you to uh, Dubai and also to uh, cities in China and to Singapore as well. Um, it uh, has pretty good uh, healthcare system. Uh, in fact, uh, we are known for medical tourism. So in the region itself, we have uh, neighboring countries, uh, people from neighboring countries coming to Penang for uh, medical tourism. So they get the surgery and uh, basically uh, a lot of the healthcare done in the state as well. Uh, also, as a rich uh, talent pool, as, as I've mentioned earlier, it's a multilingual society. So English is uh, widely spoken. Uh, also, as well as Mandarin, uh, Tamil, uh, and then, of course, Malay. Uh, there are people who speak uh, various dialects as well in Cantonese, uh, Hokkien, and also uh, people who can speak Korean and Thai as well. Uh, because we have call centers here, and they basically serve multilingual uh, companies uh, in, in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, it's a pretty uh, kind of a, a population in terms of the adult population. So it ranges between uh, half of them, basically, between uh, 20 to 60. So that's a pretty uh, young population in terms of uh, what we have uh, here. Although uh, a lot of retirees uh, like to come to Penang, uh, especially under the Malaysia My Second Home program. Uh, so, in the, we have graduates uh, in various fields, and we have got a few universities here. Uh, four, I guess, four of the major universities are here, and the uh, top science university is based in the state, uh, University Science Malaysia. And then we have other private universities as well. And then there are lots of other colleges. Uh, it's very active in, in STEM uh, or STEAM in terms of education. So it's very highly encouraged uh, because we need a huge engineering pool to supply to the manufacturing ecosystem uh, in, in the state. And in fact, it contributes to a large percentage of the GDP for the country. Uh, the government funds, uh, supports a lot of programs, especially with the federal agencies like MDEC, MIDA. So if uh, manufacturing companies want to invest in the states, so uh, they would get grants from federal in terms of uh, incentive, tax incentives. Uh, and then for MDEC, especially for digital talent, you get a foreigner visa, a work visa, and then also uh, an entrepreneur scheme uh, in terms of support for grants and also for MSC status for tax. And then also in the north, especially the Northern Corridor, which comprises of the four states of Penang, uh, Kedah, Perlis, and Para. They are actually uh, also part of the Northern Corridor and they will get additional incentives, especially on hiring subsidies. If you hire local graduates, 
to do your startup, then you get a hiring subsidy uh, for fresh graduates as well. I'll come back to the tax a bit more later. Uh, so Penang is kind of known as the Silicon Valley of uh, the East uh, in, in the fact that we have got quite about 300 over uh, semicon and uh, high-tech industries here, uh, are the likes of uh, HP, Agilent, uh, as well as uh, B. Brown and medical devices. Uh, seven of the top medical device companies, Boston Scientific, uh, they are all here. And Broadcom, so the semicon companies, even LAM Research has just opened recently, Micron, uh, they're all based here. So a very big um, manufacturing, especially in high-tech and electronics manufacturing. Uh, also a startup ecosystem uh, that we have uh, in terms of uh, uh, the successes that we have. In fact, uh, quite a lot of them ex exited. Uh, for example, Deliver It has been bought up by AirAsia, Job Street has been uh, bought up as well and listed. And then, and then there are several other uh, startups in, uh, that actually are born out of Penang, although um, we are looking still for the unicorn. Yeah. Uh, the cost of uh, business working in uh, here, so affordable co-working space, so price range of about... Uh, 250 to 600 ringgit, which is about 60 to 150 US dollars. So about one US dollar is about four ringgit or four and a half ringgit. Uh, and so you have uh, pretty affordable uh, co-working spaces. So in the Georgetown area alone, uh, these are all the co-working spaces and they are basically uh, within uh, less than five or 10 minutes drive from each other. Uh, so, and then across on the mainland as well, there's also a lot of uh, other short-term co-working spaces as well, even uh, service suites uh, in terms of uh, uh, service suites, in terms of uh, offices, uh, it's also available on the mainland and also on the island. So there, this is the island itself. And then on the mainland is where a lot of the industrial uh, manufacturing is. Only there's only one industrial park on the island, and the other nine are on the mainland itself. The uh, accommodation is quite affordable, so uh, you've got uh, various uh, co living, and actually, also, there's like Forward School, for example, is actually a school that teaches technology. Uh, they provide co living as well as co working space, right? and then you have other co living spaces around nearby. Uh, and they are all in the heritage area. So they are basically pre-war houses or renovated uh, for the purposes of co-living. Uh, the cost of living, uh, obviously, as you can see, compared to the other cities like Kuala Lumpur and New York or Singapore, it's uh, quite low uh, in terms of uh, the cost of living. Uh, and uh, pretty much, as you can see, in terms of... Uh, cost of a meal, for example, a burger, I guess the burger is the same from KL and Penang, but uh, the cost of living and uh, fitness clubs and all that uh, is definitely a lot lower compared to the capital, for example, in Kuala Lumpur or Singapore. Okay, here's the tax bit that I would like to just uh, share a bit. So the personal income tax ranges uh, and obviously uh, the, you don't get tax for the first 5,000 ringgit and uh, 
up, and then beyond that uh, is on the sliding scale uh, and, and basically progressive tax of uh, up to, uh, I guess, a max of 30% yeah, on the tax for an income bracket of 2 million uh, a year. Uh, and then, uh, and then the, on the right side is basically corporate tax that I wanted to share, which is uh, basically on the first uh, 600,000 is 17%. Uh, and then uh, subsequent to that is uh, basically 24%. Uh, paid up capital of uh, more than 2.5 million. And then after that is a flat rate tax of 24. Uh, the withholding tax is again, same thing. Uh, so I guess there is always withholding tax if you are looking at um, non-residents. Uh, so there's a withholding tax, but compared to uh, the US, is still a lot lower. Uh, I think US is about 33%. So here it's uh, a lot lower than that. There's also an option to set up a Labuan offshore account. Labuan is uh, across in East Malaysia. It's just another island and it's basically set up for offshore accounts and you can open and it's literally almost zero to uh, I don't know, in some circumstances, there may be 3% tax, but usually it's zero tax. Uh, and then uh, basically, you only need to have a paid up capital of one US dollars, and you can, you can open a multi-currency account for 10 to 50K US. And it's Labuan is a free port, and so there's no import or export duties. Uh, the other scheme that is available is... Uh, Malaysia, my second home. So this is basically, you get a residence visa for 10 years, uh, but the minimum age has now been raised to 35 and you need to have a monthly income or a liquid assets of 1.5 million ringgit and then a fixed deposit of 1 million ringgit. And then you must spend at least 90 days a year in Malaysia and an annual visa fee of 500 ringgit. So that's basically the my, Malaysia, my second home. And... Um, a lot of people have chosen Penang to be uh, one of their residents uh, in Asia. So the Creative Digital District uh, is basically where our office is based uh, in Digital Penang. And here is basically the heritage area that I showed you earlier. And this is where uh, a lot of uh, the startup activity is happening in this area. And a lot of the co-working spaces also in this area. Uh, the ability for you to mingle. And in fact, Draper Startup House is actually set up in this uh, uh, location as well. Right? And they are bringing in startups from Scandinavia. Uh, Penang, basically the focus is uh, on deep technology and we have basically hardware companies. We have AI chip design companies. Uh, they, they also manufacture wearable devices. So if you have a startup that you're thinking of doing a prototype or MVP in wearable devices and stuff. So there are lots of local companies that are able to do uh, your prototype for you uh, in terms of doing that. And so that's where the hardware and engineering guys are skilled in. And then there's also the software guys who are also skilled and develop uh, and, and focus in AI, uh, software and development and engineering, and basically in the key sectors that we have right in healthcare, logistics, tourism, fintech, uh, and, and basically supporting also the e and &E, the electric, electrical and electronics manufacturing industry. So just to talk a bit about the co-working space. Uh, so if you have a co-working space, which is a desk of 60 ringgit, uh, well, starts from 50 ringgit per month, which is less about 
12 US dollars a month. Uh, you're able, they will handle all these things for you in terms of mail, uh, the meeting rooms, you can have access to uh, doing the event space uh, and also the community uh, in the city square sandbox. And then there's also private offices for rental if you need them. Uh, and inside here, uh, if you have a startup and we have our working co-working partners, for example, with Amazon, you can get credits with Amazon for, I think it's 5,000 US dollars, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's all I have to share. Thank you, Darren. Well, fantastic. Th thanks for giving us that uh, brief but quite comprehensive overview on uh, the, the, the landscape uh, in Penang and how it is an attractive proposition for, for those that would be location independent and are looking for a base to, to get work done. But understandably, we live in uncertain times, right? You know, things, things are happening, you know. Uh, and I would imagine that has had some impact as well. So specifically, how difficult is it to get to Malaysia right now in terms of the requisite visas and, and stuff like that? Is it the same as you've described? It's a pretty straightforward process or is there anything else that someone needs to like consider or prepare for to get a, the requisite visa? And what is the right type of visa to it, enable someone to take advantage of the Penang opportunity? Right, so I think if it's, um... If, first of all, is you have to be fully vaccinated now to travel to, like, I, mean, I think in most countries now, yeah. you have to prove the, of vaccination and must be the vaccines that are recognized by WHO. Mm -hmm. So I guess Pfizer, AstraZeneca, even Sinovac is recognized. So uh, if mm -hmm. you can prove that, then you're able to travel uh, mm -hmm. to Malaysia. Uh, I guess there are some countries that have already been vaccinated and open for that travel. So you can come on a tourist visa uh, and then I guess look at what's uh, available here, see whether you like it. And then you can start to uh, say if you want to set up and incorporate a company here and then you can then go ahead and apply for, uh, I guess, basically uh, to convert to see whether you are eligible to do your startups and there will be that startup program under MDEC and that you could apply for that talent visa and then basically uh, do your asset entrepreneur, and then you would get be eligible for that entrepreneurship visa. Okay. So just, you know, just to kind of quickly summarize for those that may have missed it, what are generally, I know it's not an immigration discussion, but what are the general requirements that someone needs to have to qualify for that entrepreneurship visa? Generally, top line. Uh, yeah, I guess you prove that you're a startup and that it's a startup that is in deep tech or in one of the tech areas. Uh, I, I think that, that you are going to set up a base in Penang or, mm -hmm. or for that matter in KL, then you will mm -hmm. be able to apply. Uh, there are some requirements I cannot remember, but uh, maybe sure. Siva, you, do you, do you, Siva is my, my guy here. And he okay. used to be from MDEC, so maybe he's able to share a bit more. Yeah. Hi, Shiva. Hey, hi, everyone. Good day. Um, uh, thanks for the opportunity. So, yes, um, for this MTech visa or uh, technopreneur visa, some of the requirements is, as, as Tony highlighted, it should be in deep tech, it should be a startup, 
the startup founder has some form of uh, uh, recognition from their country, from a co-working space or from the mm-hmm. community there. And then, uh, and then they should also uh, uh, be engaging one of the uh, startup hubs in Malaysia. Okay, and and, uh, and the startup hubs will also uh, facilitate by recommending uh, the startup to mm. come over to Malaysia. So, so we can facilitate uh, with all those process. If if there's a startup interested in getting into Malaysia, we'll be more than happy to connect with you with the ecosystem, uh, trying to help you uh, facilitate you in getting your uh, technical visa. Okay. Understood, understood. And would that entrepreneur need to form a Malaysian company, a, a Sindarin Berhad? Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay. And of course, for, for those who may not be aware, there are some minimum capital requirements. Am I correct in saying that? Yes, there is a minimum uh, capital requirement for, for um, Basically, there's two parts. One is that if it's a Sandrian Berhad and it's a, it's a uh, what do you call that? It's, it, you're not coming in through the Technopreneur visa, then your minimum paid up uh, uh, capital requirement for fully foreign-owned companies is about half a million ringgit or 125,000 uh, uh, USD, right? Mm-hmm. And for the Entrepreneur uh, visa, then it's much more relaxed. Basically, it's... Uh, it's it's a very minimum sum, it, the, but the major thing is the, rec- the tech. It's a startup founder and the recommendation. Right, it's a recommendation. But just you know, just to kind of to let people know what that threshold is. Can you give like a ballpark as uh, to how much the paid up capital should be? Okay, um, I think it's fifty thousand uh, ringgit or something or less. Fifty thousand ringgit. I, I should have Googled that. And the paid up capital is based on the EP that you are going to apply, technically, if I understand correctly. Because if, let's say, your EP, uh, you're going to apply more, means your paid up capital should be more. But the minimum, as what Siva has told, I think the minimum is 500K. Yeah, minimum. No, uh, okay. So basically, uh, mm-hmm. if you want to hire... Uh, locals, there's no issues. If you are bringing in more foreigners, then it's not only about uh, the uh, paid-up capital, but mm-hmm. also about the size of your office. All, all okay. those things uh, uh, matters, right? So, um, uh, 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 because we have MSC companies, large companies, still with 500,000 paid-up capital, but it depends on the activities, uh, depends on the average salary of this uh, person who's coming from the uh, uh, overseas, uh, and all those, and and of course, there should be a balance of seventy thirty local and foreign. Right. So uh, okay. let me look into M- MTAP visa uh, paid up uh, capital. Of, um, uh, because I yeah, used to I, handle. Yeah. Let me just share screen. Yeah. So this is what what it is. So if you are a new tech entrepreneur, one year professional visit mm-hmm. visa. So if you go to the mtech.my, this website here. Uh, you'll right. be able to see that, right? So, one-year professional visit pass. So, you're a new entrepreneur. Then, for the founder or co-founder with no track record of established business, uh, basically, you'll be eligible for that visa. But if you're an experienced one, then you get five years, right? So, but then you need to prove that your track record of your business for, for two years. And then you're also eligible to bring your dependents. And then the rest is uh, the... Uh, five-year resident pass established visa, which is basically uh, for a tech investor. This is more mm-hmm. the investor rather than the entrepreneur itself. 
Okay, yeah. The, the, so this is pretty good to to. This is a pretty good uh, resource. M dot. Yeah. So for those who may be listening, I may not be seeing the screen right now. M D E C dot M Y forward slash M T E P is what you're looking for, and the if you are a new tech entrepreneur, so you you don't have that experience, uh, I can see that the minimum that you would need to show would be fifty thousand ringgit. Uh, Shiva had mentioned earlier, so about twelve thousand US dollars, uh, about, yeah, okay, that that that's great, and in right now, uh, of course, you need to be fully vaccinated and stuff like that. What are the processing times, roughly? Uh, processing time, mm -hmm. I think it's uh, if you get a visa as a tourist mm -hmm. to come in, you can stay here and then apply. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it ranges, I guess, from, uh, I, I don't know, Siva, do you have any experience? Yeah, in, in average, about, uh, about two to three months, right? Uh, uh, so what we, what, 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 I mean, the entire process is done online. So MDEC mm -hmm. will start processing it and then uh, they will basically uh, present it to the immigration uh, for the technopreneur visa. So the entire process will take about two to three months. Okay, right. and that's so, 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 so already example, be inside the country. Do you need to exit and re-enter, or would it be so, all so, process? So normally, right? normally uh, uh, in uh, well, during my days in MDEC, uh, we, what we will recommend to them is that start uh, engaging the co-working spaces or the digital hubs in Malaysia, and then start the application before they come to Malaysia. Okay. Okay, there's a recommendation, then uh, they talk to the co-working space, then, uh, uh, then we try to get them the MTEP visa before they come into Malaysia, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If they are already in Malaysia with a tourist visa and they are applying for MTEP, of course, definitely they have to go out and come. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Okay, understood. That, that's great to know. So let's pivot a bit now onto the tax side, uh, of course, being, being tax professionals. So I, I'm not making this up. I literally was speaking with an, an entrepreneur yesterday. He is in another country. I don't want. I don't want to say where he is, but he's having a. He's in the process of successfully exiting uh, a tech company that he founded, and he's going to be walking away with, uh, let's say, the low eight figures in the U.S. And he mentioned Penang. He. I didn't bring it up, and he said he. He's thinking of coming to Penang. Now the thing is that he has. Oh, you know. So it's not just him, but other successful nomads, entrepreneurs, they may have passive income from other investments or from other companies that they would have been involved in. Now, historically, uh, Malaysia was quite attractive because essentially it was territorial tax, right? So you would pay tax on income arising from within Malaysia, but there are some exceptions. I know it's nuanced, but generally speaking, if you had investment income from outside of Malaysia that was being taxed, et cetera, et cetera, it would not be taxed by the, by the revenue in Malaysia. But I understand that that may be changing. Uh, anyone want to comment on that? Yeah. Starting next year, 1st January 2020, income remitted back to Malaysia, foreign income source remitted back to Malaysia will be subject to tax. So we still this stage, there will came out some guidelines, but we're still waiting for further uh, information from the income, income tax. But generally, most of the income 
will be taxed except for capital gains. Yeah, so only if, if you remit that income back, right? So if you keep your income overseas, then the, if you just keep what is uh, enough to uh, sustain your day-to-day -day living, then you don't need to remit that income back. So it's not subject to tax, I guess. Yeah, but I think it will be a difficult position to not to remit back, you see. You uh, keep... I mean, if they are yeah, putting in it's... a million a million yeah. ringgit deposit, right? So, uh, and if they, well, if they bring in that initial sum, then I think it's it probably the interest rate income from that is enough yeah. to to survive in, in, in Penang, yeah. So, because that, that's a good point that Ravi raised that, you know, it, it's good. Well, first of all, it's good that it's on the remittance basis, right? So it's not like, for example, nearby in Indonesia, for those people who may be based in Bali, it's not like uh, Australia, it's not like New Zealand, where you will pay tax on it, even though regardless of where it resides, because you're going to be taxed on your worldwide income. Malaysia is potentially saying, now you can have investment income outside, but once you don't bring it in, it's not going to be taxed. But if you are an entrepreneur and you're there to start a company, you, before things turn profitable, right? You need to live. So yeah. you, need, you need to bring it in. So is it the, the strategy around this is to uh, open an account and get the money into Malaysia before things, they, before the clocks starts ticking? You know, is, is that how it would work? Yeah, technically they have given a grace period Okay. Is from 1st January 2020 until 30 June 2022, mm. six months period they have given. During this period, any amount remitted from the overseas, the tax only at 3%. Mm. It's not a corporate rate at 24%. So this, this uh, guideline just came out yesterday only. They've updated. Yeah. So we are waiting for further update on this because there's so many unanswered questions still lingering around. Mm -hmm. At the moment, 3% mm -hmm. is good also because it encouraged a lot of people to bring back the money first. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and this is also uh, for Malaysia to comply on the global minimum tax. Uh, so if not, if Malaysia doesn't comply, then it will get into the grey list of the US and EU, right? Mm -hmm. So, so it, it's basically to comply on this global minimum tax. And I think every other country will also so probably doing something in the, in the similar. Mm, well, not exactly, because there was some dissent from countries like Ireland. Uh, one of the arrangements that, that they came to at the last minute was that the threshold for the global minimum 15% corporate tax is that you had to have a turnover of 750 million euros. So, which is probably not anybody that we'd be talking to on this live stream. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but Just at, at a yeah. point, yeah. Sorry, Dan, can I continue? No, yeah. no, no, you, you go, you go. Yeah, just, just add a point here. From my experience like, as a tax practitioner, yeah, I've seen a lot of cases recently. You can see, uh, you can see the, they're doing it to uh, match with the global standard of uh, tax uh, rules, all this. But end of the day, I think the income tax is looking for revenue, ex not to say extra revenue. They try to close all those loopholes uh, on this revenue. That means in income not reported for tax or not subject Technically, it is subject for tax because of certain provision in the Act is uh, the income tax couldn't tax it. 
Okay, yeah. actually, this, this provision came in 2004. It is clearly say under Schedule 6, paragraph 28 of the income tax said, any um, amount remitted from overseas source, okay, is exempt from tax except for three industries. That is banking, shipping, and another one. Okay, I couldn't recall. I think maybe it's uh, yeah, right, something like that. Okay, mm -hmm. so this or this provision, a lot of company uh, take whatever income derived from foreign source as tax exempt. Okay, like royalty payment, some of them like royalty payment, this payment. But recently, a lot of tax audits going on, income tax going back on this and saying it is based on Malaysian source. And this is also uh, one of the things happened is recently last year, I think not last year, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, last year, December, income tax won a major case. Okay, so the income was remitted from overseas. There was few cases before this. At that point, income tax lost the case. But recently in December, there was a one case income tax won the case. It says the income, uh, the income derived from the overseas is taxable in Malaysia because the work is done in Malaysia. Mm. Only the services is performed in overseas. Mm. So they, they're coming on this way around. As long as they can show the proof, they say your company in registered in Malaysia, your management in Malaysia, your director sitting in Malaysia, your personal sitting in Malaysia, before you do the project, you do the planning, everything in Malaysia. Only that the family and product only you're going to do in overseas. Okay? So you go and do and come back, all your job done in Malaysia. So it's technically, it's, it's Malaysian source of income. That's, that's where they are coming from. But, but it's, forest is still a gray area. They're saying that means a lot of things have to be take, taken into uh, the section. But at the moment, income tax also looking, one of the things they are checking is whether uh, the taxpayer have paid withholding tax or tax in the country that receiving the income. Yeah. That's one of the points, a plus point that the taxpayer can get as one of the uh, defense to not tax in Malaysia, you see? So we are going, technically they are, they are closing up lah on this, I can say, yeah. they are moving forward. That's why they're coming with the act, they changed the act, yeah. they say from next year, there's no more exemption on this because there's a lot of gray area, a lot of people utilizing it because some of the, my, my clients also, they are not paying, actually they are not paying taxes in overseas and they are not paying taxes in Malaysia. It's not to say they don't want to pay because the provision allows it, but the provision saying that the provision is very general. It's only state income tax remitted from overseas source. It doesn't say that you have to pay withholding tax where the job is done. So it's, it's how you say, it's arguable. It's based on the facts of the cases, case-by-case case basis. Yeah, Darren, that, that's my point here. That, that, that's, that's great. Thank, thanks for clarifying and adding to that. Uh, Tony, you also mentioned Lab 1. Uh, and I understand that, well, that's not this year, but I think it was last year, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, that there were some changes in the rules for Lab 1 companies as well. Uh, can anyone comment on that? Yeah, pro probably, Ravi, you should comment on that because I'm not yeah, very familiar. I, I have a small slide here. Maybe I can share this. You all can see the slide? Yep. Okay, just a quick one. Huh? I got a few things to make here. Okay, first is a substance requirement. So last time there was no substance requirement uh, in the act itself. They, they, 
insists to have a, a substance requirement, but in the act, they don't have such a clause. You say, what are the substance, what are minimum requirements? But since 2019, 1st January, they have started this and they've implemented from 1st January 2020. By right, they're supposed to start in 2019 because there's a lot of uh, backlash from the industry, labor industry, especially the insurance. Then they delayed and then they implemented starting from 1st January 2020s. So they say must have a, sus a substance. That means substance means you must have an office there, you must have a minimum staff, you must have a minimum expenditure. So it depends on industry-based. Uh, it's not uh, it's a blanket uh, requirement that you must have so much of stuff. It's based on the industry. You are in this industry means you must have so much of stuff. Example, like a holding company, they said you must have minimum two employees in Labuan. That means you must have a physical office there. And the minimum expenditure for the year must be 50K per annum okay, to comply. If you don't comply to it, what happens is you will be taxed on 20% flat rate for the net profit. Okay, But as you know, Labuan tax at the moment is only 3%. So you won't enjoy the 3% tax because you couldn't fulfill the requirement, you will be taxed at 24%. So that is the main thing on the substance requirement. Then abolishment of tax flat rate. Okay, Because there is an option before this, either you pay 20K tax, or you opt to 3% on your net profit. Okay, so they have lifted this 20K bench. That means there's no, no more any more 20K. You have to pay fixed at 3% based on your net profit. That is the Labuan tax at the moment. That is one of it. Then income from intellectual property uh, currently is taxed at company rate. That is 24%. Okay, that is royalty and intellectual property rights. Okay. Okay, then the other thing is restriction of tax deduction for payments made to Labuan companies and Malaysian taxpayer. Okay, some companies, they don't want Malaysian company that it, uh, the other side to use Labuan as a shelf for not paying tax. That means they put all their expenditure here, technically. Okay, they throw the income here, then uh, they want to avoid this thing. So what they say is whatever expenditure made by the Malaysian company to the Labuan, only certain percentage will be allowed. Okay, for example, here under the rule, for interest payment, you only can deduct 33% of the payment. Amount not allowed, sorry, you are not allowed 33% of, that means you only can deduct the balance 67% uh, <coughs> technically. Lease rental, same. Other payments, 97%. You only can claim 3%. Okay? So these are the restrictions they have made. Okay? Thanks. That's, that's the main thing. Yeah, thank, thanks, for, thanks for clarifying and giving us that, that detail. Because, uh, you know, just... I, I wasn't familiar with the, the details of you as you've described it, but I know that just anecdotally... Uh, people within our ecosystem and clients who may have been considering Labuan, they became a bit hesitant uh, okay. when, th when things happened last year. So, yeah. yeah I think this, this change, changes is inventable because it's, I think yeah. the Malaysia, we went to the briefing by the Labuan agency in Labuan itself. They said they got no choice. They have to do this because Malaysia was in the 
in the stage of being blacklisted. Right, okay, right. As yeah, a tax yeah. heaven. Mm. <laughs> so because of mm. this, they did all this because the big five changes, all this. Mm-hmm. So technically, it's unavoidable. Anyway, it's still okay. I think Slav One is still okay at the moment. Yeah. It's not that worse yeah. off. Okay, <laughs> it's technically you, yeah. because the problem is also a lot of companies they just don't have a presence there. It's just on papers. Most of the companies. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that yeah. was the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, for for many of our clients, uh, now they're looking at Hong Kong. Because Hong Kong still, well, I know Hong Kong is being they're under some sort of negotiation because they're on the brink of being blacklisted as well. But for now, they do have they allow that that shell company that that offshore company with no real substance requirements at least anyway. But that everything is in a, a state of flux. Moving forward though, crypto. I think you know not just the remote workers or digital nomads. I think. Many of us uh, have been unable to avoid the lure of, of crypto investments. How and so, so let's say that I, I moved to Malaysia. How would Malaysia view my crypto gains? Would it be taxed? At the moment, yes, it goes under digital tax. They are taxing it. E-commerce mm-hmm. technically is go under e-commerce. Okay. Income tax is looking further on this uh, back uh, recently. Four, mm. four uh, areas they are looking at this. One is YouTubers, active YouTubers. Okay, there are a lot of people active since MCO, all these pandemic games, a lot of people are on. They are also looking at it. Okay. Secondly, gamers, online gamers. They are looking at that also. Whatever, because gamers, you have a competition, all these things. They win money or anything. If you're frequent gamers doing that, is 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 like your business source. Really, technically, you're doing that. That is your job, really. Technically, so it's an income for you. And on and off, you're doing as a hobby is different. But this person is doing all, all again and again. That means it's a habitual. It is technically it's that that is is income really. So it's taxable. Then, uh, as what you're saying is the crypto. Okay. Crypto, uh, bitcoins, all these things, selling bitcoins, cryptocurrency, they are looking on that. So then the other thing is advertising, online advertising, digital advertising. Okay. At the moment, they are already uh, advertising at the moment is already fall under royalty. So they are lo- looking further to tax it also under income tax. As an e-commerce, under e-commerce. E- yeah, okay. e-commerce. Right. I, I get it. Like if you're, you're a gamer or, or whatever, and you may win some sort of digital currency, uh, I get that. So that's a winning. So that's like an earning. So that's income. But what if it's capital gains? So I moved to Malaysia and I had, uh, you know, 10 coins in whichever, you know, yeah. and I, 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 you know, after a while I sold it. That's capital gains. Would that capital gains be taxable? Okay. At the moment, Malaysia don't have a capital gain tax. As long as you can prove it is a capital gain, it won't be taxed, including the foreign source income. I told you that it's going to be taxed from 1st January 2012. So it's only income taxable. That means the income must fall under the Income Tax Act 1967 as an income to be taxed. Mm -hmm. If a capital gain, if you bring back a capital 
gain is not taxable. Let's say you have a property in Australia, you sell off the property, the company sell off the property, then they bring back the money. That is a capital gain. It won't be taxed. Okay, unless the cap they change the rule, tax capital gain. That is a different scenario. So at the moment, as it stays, there's no capital gain tax, except for real property gain tax from property that disposed in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that that that's I can breathe a sigh of relief now. So, uh, someone moves to Malaysia, they have their whichever coin it may be, and they sell it. Once they can demonstrate, because they want to, they may need it to invest in whatever they they're trying to do in Malaysia. So as long as they can demonstrate it was capital gains, yeah, it should be tax free at this point. Yes. Anyway. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That that that's that's fantastic. Uh, can anyone another uh, program that was pretty popular for those who wanted to stay in Malaysia? I know. It may not be related to entrepreneurship, but I personally have clients, uh, long-term clients, who have who live in Penang under MM2H. Uh, there've been recent changes to the MM2H programs. Can any of you comment on, the, on that? Yeah, I have a small slide on that. We can okay. share. Mm -hmm. So Tony, you want to add means later uh, you can add in. Uh, I just y'all can see my slide. Uh, we, we're still seeing the lab one ones. Okay, it's oh. come up. Yeah, we can see MM2H now. Yeah. You can see it, huh? Yeah. Okay. Now, the first one is the monthly income requirement to qualify. Last time was 10K, Malaysian ringgit 10K, now increased to 40K. That is a fourfold increase. Okay. It's roughly around US 9.5 as what? Tony has informed earlier, okay? You need to show a liquidating asset 1.5 million, okay? That, okay? So earlier, is previously is only 150,000 Malaysia for age 50 years and 300,000 for those under 50 years. So now increase to 1 million is, is in FD, technically, the 1.5 million, they break it up in FD on 1 million. So it's quite a high figure, okay? You must be spent in Malaysia 90 days a year in Malaysia. This is a minimum requirement. The minimum age increased from 21 to 35 for principal application, technically, okay? Then this is uh, technically the fees, okay? Uh, for the application has been increased. The immigration price now technically is 5,000. Okay? But 5,000 is nothing for MMH2. The, the point is uh, the income. Okay. Because I have six. Okay. Six. The point is the income. Is fourfold income increase? Then the minimum placement as a security is increased. Okay. There was a lot of backlash on this when they uh, talk about this. Even the uh, Sultan of Johor, Sultan of Johor also is very upset about this because I think he has a lot of uh, business associates in, under MMA2H because Singa uh, Johor is a big nearer to Singapore. So technically, it's, it's, it's not new what he's saying that. But then uh, the government uh, looks like doesn't uh, going to 
back their food. They're going based on this. What they told is this study was done quite some time ago. All the agency and people involved, the related party had been called. They said, uh, what they found out is some of the people are using this MM2H as a transit, Malaysia as a transit to do illegal activities. Hmm. Okay? We don't know how, how true is it. So hmm. yeah. they want to get a really person who quality, can say a quality person who really hmm. qualify for MM2H yeah. to apply it. That's what they are saying. Okay. But anyway, uh, what we have uh, lessen a bit, uh, loosen a bit of the requirement is they say of all those requirements, those existing MM2H, they only need to comply two conditions. One is the 90 days requirement in Malaysia. The other one is the increased fee on the application. Okay. There's, at the moment, they say they can, uh, at the moment, they are waiving the security deposit that the increase, they, they won't comply for the uh, the current one who are already under the program, they want to renew. They can still follow the old as, as is it now. Mm -hmm. and, and what about the age? Because it's gone up to 35 for the principal applicant, right? So if someone is already on the MM2H and they're younger than 35, what happens? It, it won't have any impact because they told only that two conditions. Okay. Only, only mm -hmm. that two conditions. Thank so you. they are going to grandfather the existing MM2H yeah. holders. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for that. That, that. That's good to know. That's good to know. Another question that I had from the uh, client that I was speaking to yesterday, the one who is considering coming to Penang from another jurisdiction, uh, was, you know, he is, he he's running businesses online, right? So, you know, he's doing... I won't say what it is, but he's doing uh, e-commerce type businesses online. So uh, we, I think we, we reviewed the, the tax part of it, but there's also being part of an ecosystem because we spoke about all the co-working spaces. I've been to Penang myself multiple times. I have gone to several co-working spaces. We've worked there. We've given presentation to members there. So I'm quite familiar with it. And one of the good things about Penang is, being, is connecting with that ecosystem and attending the networking events that, that happen in those spaces. Because of the, the restrictions, uh, I would imagine that that may or may not be possible. And if it's not possible right now, uh, I know you, you don't have a crystal ball, but can you like estimate when things would be opened up to the extent that there can be that sort of business networking again in Penang? Uh, actually, we are beginning to have the activities happening again, uh, physical activities. So mm -hmm. as long as we comply to the social distancing requirements, right? So I think, for example, uh, the, the space distance, then uh, we can hold events. Uh, in fact, we're planning to do that uh, from next month onwards uh, in, in our co-working space. So I, I think that's going to start to gear up. Uh, actually, next year, September 2022, Penang is the host city for World Congress in IT. And mm. hopefully, hopefully it's going to be a physical event, <laughs> uh, but we never know. But even, even if it's not, maybe it's going to be a hybrid event uh, mm. at the minimum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In, in okay. fact, there are people are already holding conferences and I'm, uh, I've been attending physical conferences already. Yeah. 
Okay. And are there like any cap capacity constraints, like not more than 50 people? Not more uh, it than all depends on the size of the yeah. ballroom and the size of the right. space. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that's great. Uh, let me, any, if anyone has any questions, if you are on zoom, you can type in the box below or you can unmute yourself and ask questions in the 10 minutes or so we have left. If you're on Facebook, please feel free to type your questions in the box underneath. Same on LinkedIn. If you have any questions, feel free to type your questions in the box underneath the, the stream itself. So I'm just gonna have a quick look to see if anyone has asked any questions on those other platforms. I think, no, we, we're good, we're good. Uh, so on that note, Tony, what's, what's the best way? I know you typed it in the zoom box that your, your contact, but could you say it aloud just in case someone is yeah. on another platform? What's the best way to reach you? Yeah. So if people want to reach us, just uh, drop us an email at contact at digitalpenang.my, uh, or, or just visit our website. Yeah. But, uh, I think contact at digitalpenang.my would be the best, uh, and you just, uh, have the title of the subject as digital nomads or, or um, moving to Penang, then we'll follow up with you. Okay, that's wonderful. Uh, and Ravi, what's, what's the best way for someone to reach you with their highly technical questions in Malaysia tax? Yeah, you can, uh, you know, always can uh, drop me an email, ravi, R-A-V-I, at rakithomas.com, or you can visit us. Uh, for further information, our website, uh, rockythomas.com. Okay, we yeah, are in the most scrolling uh, link also, we can look at that. Yeah, so just in terms of full disclosure, so Ravi's office is an affiliate office uh, of ours under the Moore's Roland Asia Pacific umbrella. And uh, within Malaysia, we have affiliate offices, not just in KL where Ravi sits, but also on Penang as well. Uh, Malacca, uh, JB, uh, Johor Bahru, and Sarawak. So there's pretty comprehensive coverage in, in Malaysia. So wherever you may be or would like to go, chances are one of our offices, our affiliate offices uh, would be nearby. So on that note, thank you for joining us. For, uh, if you want to uh, see this recording, it's obviously being recorded. It would be on facebook youtube soundcloud uh itunes spotify basically wherever you want to get your podcast this will be made available as well as on our website hej.tax so we do these live streams every week um different jurisdictions different uh places of interest always from a tax perspective thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time okay thank you thank you Darren. okay thank you thank you right. bye thank you Tony. thank you Darren. bye Okay. Here are four ways we can help you. Number one, sign up for free webinars on U.S. Expat Taxes and International Entrepreneur Taxes at www.htj.tax. Number two, stream premium educational videos at www.htj.tax. Number three, contact us for tax optimization consult over Zoom. Number four, high net worth. 
weekend quote for doing your U.S. international taxes returns. Our books and upcoming events are available at htj.tax. Please subscribe, like, share, and comment below. Email us at help at htj.tax to engage us to advise on international tax or business matters.